So part of the 1031 exchange rules say that the title holding entity from the exiting asset has to be the same title holding entity for the entering asset. And so what you're doing is where you normally might have your title holding entity and then, you know, maybe you'll have like a JV equity partner and then an investor entity or JV investor or manager, however you structure, you usually have one title holding entity. With a tick structure, what happens is all of your tick partners are now partial owners of the property. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from sunny, beautiful, and warm California. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest on the show. And our guest is Vina Jetty from Vive Funds. And Vina, you probably know her if you've been investing with me because... She's great. She's been in real estate for a long time, and we've been partnering on deals. I think we've done seven or eight or nine deals together. And with Vina, we're going to talk actually about 1031 Exchange. I know many of you have that issue in mind, have you know that investment vehicle in mind, because you probably utilize it once or twice, or you're thinking about it. And we're going to talk today about what's the best way to take advantage of this beautiful investment vehicle. And we're going to talk about some pitfalls and things you should be aware of, and also about a tick structure, tenants and comments, and what that is and how it's related to 1031 Exchange. So I'm hoping that you're going to leave the podcast today, the episode today, a bit smarter than you did when you just started listening to me. But before we're going to dive into the whole aspect and subject of 1031 Exchange, I want to tell you a little bit about Vina. So as I've mentioned, she is from Vive Funds. She's actually the founder of Vive Funds. She is also a Forbes author and a real estate investor and syndicator. She basically, through Vive Funds, she owns and manages over half a billion in real estate and multifamily portfolio. And throughout her career, she managed over a billion dollars in real estate assets. So Vina is not only a real estate investor, but she's a philanthropist. She founded a national nonprofit organization that supports physicians' families through medical training. And she also consults nonprofits on disaster response and business continuity. Vina also has an undergraduate degree in finance from University of Illinois in Chicago. Vina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I love these discussions we get to have. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to ask a question that I know the answer to, but I want our listeners to know more about you. If you can kind of share your, a little bit about your background and how you ended up buying real estate. Yes, yes. So I come from a real estate family. So I did take a little bit of a shortcut into the field. I grew up in this world. My mom is a successful real estate investor. Both her and my dad retired early from their real estate portfolio. And now they are purely passive investors into our deals. And, you know, you talk about mailbox money, that's like the life they're living in retirement with our investments. So it's been really great for us to be able to provide that for them as they've taken a less active role in real estate. And I graduated college when I was 20 years old, got my degree in finance, got the technical skills, but had no real world experience outside of my family's business and went to work in some of the best shops in the world, ultimately left corporate real estate back in 2012 and started investing for ourselves. And Fast forward all the way to 2022, and here we are. Amazing, amazing. And you like multifamily as much as I do for obvious reasons. And we've worked with the 1031 Exchange, you know, as a platform to move the investment, the sell proceeds and, and profits forward to another deal so we can defer for us and for our investors, defer the, you know, paying capital gains tax. But again, before we dive into it, we always, you know, on the show, we start with talking about the asset, then process and strategy. So for the asset portion of our discussion today, obviously you're into multifamily. Can you share with me one of the craziest, you know, stories that you've experienced in multifamily. And if you own real estate and you're active or a sponsor, there's always crazy stories, whether it's with partners, with the city, with tenants, with the property management company, there's always something is happening. I don't know what it is about real estate, but there's always something that is happening. What is your craziest story to date? Gosh, I have so, so, so many. I will tell you the most peculiar interaction I've had on an asset. So we have an asset in Florida and I all of a sudden start getting like the same number calling me over and over and over. And I answer it and I'm like, you know, this is Vina by funds. How can I help? Whatever. One of our tenants at the asset found me as the owner because her spouse or partner, whoever was a detective or police officer or something. She had her spouse look up my name, found me on Twitter, and then used that to find my phone number through some people search and call me. And I was like, okay, are you going to like show up at my doorstep next? Like what's about to happen right now? Because you're a tenant at the asset. Well, what did you want? So she called me because she wanted to complain about someone on the asset, one of the leasing managers or whatever, was supposedly ignoring her work order for like something really dumb, like a light bulb change. I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was something really stupid. And she called me and she's like, you know, I just, I thought you would want to know as the owner of this asset, what kind of treatment your tenants are getting. We've lived here for like five years and I just can't, and we would just taken over the asset too. She's like, and I just can't believe you guys would ignore these types of problems. And then she wanted to complain about violations she had gotten for having like 
garbage out on her front porch. And, you know, I don't know this kind of minutia about this specific tenant in this unit, you know, sorry, customer service her, but it was definitely the most interesting tenant interaction I've had because she really went out of her way to find me and my personal contact information. Yeah. And, you know, when you manage an asset that has hundreds of units, it's not like as the owner, you're visiting the asset, you're managing the asset. There's so many people that manage the asset for you. You know, we hire a property management company and, you know, we're interacting with the property manager on site, with the regional, with the VP, and they hire an entire team of people that operate. But you know, the day-to-day operations. To be close to the operations, we both like to do surprise visits and just see how the property looks like and without them knowing that we're coming. So there's, of course, a way to do it, but it it could be a bit awkward to get a phone call because, again, it's not a duplex that you're managing and you know the tenants and you're, you know, if something breaks, they call you and you take care of it. But yeah, that's definitely uncomfortable. And it's amazing what you can find online today. Seriously, after that, we like locked down everything because I was like, I think she's going to show up at my doorstep next. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move forward and talk about the process of doing a 1031 exchange the right way. In your view, what from your experience, what's the best way to streamline the exchange? So, you know, to make sure that you don't miss out the IRS timeline. And, And maybe actually before that, if you can just talk a little bit about what is 1031 exchange? How does it work? And what timeline are we talking about? Yep. So when you are trying to do what's called a 1031 exchange, what you're basically doing is you're utilizing a portion of the tax code, which allows you to sell or exit an asset and exchange it for a like-kind asset. So in other words, you're going to the IRS, you're saying, hey, I'm selling 123 Main Street and I'm going to buy ABC Main Street, and I'm just going to move the funds from this investment over, and I'm going to defer the capital gains tax that's due on my sales proceeds. And the IRS says, okay, as long as it's a like kind, and there's different rules you have to meet, and you know we're not tax professionals, so this is certainly not tax advice. Absolutely. But this is just our experience as on the operational side. Yes, it's our experience on the operational side of how to actually functionally execute a 1031 exchange. So you have 45 days to identify the next asset and 180 days to close on what's called the replacement asset. Yeah, and I think one of the things that many investors don't know is that you can't just take your profits from the sale and forward them to the new deal. You need to take your initial investment as well and the profits and together move that amount to the new deal. And that's actually part of why the market is so hot right now. There's a lot of exits because cap rates are very low right now. And then you have a lot of sellers that are sitting on a ticking bomb because they need, they have that 45 days to identify the next deal. So they'll be willing to you know, overpay for an asset or to take lower yields because they have to deploy it. Otherwise, they're going to have to pay capital gains tax, which they're trying to avoid. So from your experience, what would be the best way to streamline the process so you don't miss that crucial 45-day window that the IRS, you know, requires you to have? Because once that window closes, there's nothing much you can do. Yeah. And even if you miss it by a day, it's done. Yeah, it's definitely critical. You know, my advice in these scenarios is hire the right 
advisors and teams and get them into place ahead of time. We spend a lot of time on knowing and understanding who we're working with and making sure that they're the best of the best so that we are protected, our investors are protected. We're doing things the right way. We want to follow the rules and we want to make sure we're doing it correctly. So we have our attorneys, our tax advisors, everybody kind of blesses the process of exiting anytime we're gearing up for an exit. We also have started now consulting with our attorneys on how to structure as kind of a rinse and repeat process going forward so that we can avoid any of the time lag issues that can arise during the 1031 structuring process. And so just having the right advisors who really understand the process and really understand where you are taking on risk, because Every deal will have risk, right? Regardless if we do everything right, the IRS can still challenge it. And we want to minimize the risk of that happening. And so that's why you really want to consult with the right attorneys. And you want to understand as an LP investor, what a 1031 exchange means and why you should even utilize it. This is one of the most powerful tools for any LP to take advantage of. And it's what the most wealthy elite in this country do to build generational wealth. And I'm not talking like, a millionaire, I'm talking about like 100 millionaires and billionaires. This is one of the most powerful tools they utilize. And like, you know, there's that that line that we always say, like our richest and most wealthy investors say, defer, 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 die. That's their business plan, right? Like they're going to defer their capital gains as long as this option's available to them. And then when they die, you know, the estate takes care of it and they move up or in basis or they defer. So it's an underutilized tool by a lot of LPs because they just don't know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you've mentioned before, it's, you know, we do hire the best experts and they're not cheap and that's okay because it's more expensive to pay, you know, capital gains tax. But even when we hire experts and we pay them a lot of money, there's still some complexity and some pitfalls that are involved, you know, they're unfortunately kind of sometimes unavoidable part of the 1031 exchange. What are some major pitfalls that you've seen or some major challenges in applying and using 1031 exchange the right way? Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges that I think I faced on even some of our exchanges that have not, that they've just taken a longer time to talk through and it takes going and consulting with multiple different parties who all want to weigh in with competing priorities. And, you know, we're in the middle of the deal, like, okay, well, We need tax and securities to both line up with each other, right? So I think that's actually been one of the biggest challenges is our securities attorney might agree to something or sign off on something, and then the tax advisor signs off on something, agrees to something, and then the 1031 attorney comes back and says, what are you guys doing? Absolutely not. (laughs) And then we're like, okay, so what do you recommend 1031 attorney? And then they give us their proposed structure. And then we go to the securities attorney and he's like, no, you cannot do this. You have to do it this way. So sometimes it's a matter of getting all of those pieces when you're in a syndicated deal, especially to kind of like fit exactly right and tick and tie correctly. I think some of the pitfalls is not having the right advisor, realizing the funds. So what I mean by that is you cannot take the funds into your own bank account, right? We can't close one, two, three Main Street, have them wire us the $10 million into our bank account and then go and reinvest that $10 million or more into, you know, two, three, four Main Street, because then we've taken possession of the funds and the IRS will not allow that. So we have to hire what's called a qualified intermediary. And 
they essentially act as a third party that takes in the funds and then tells the IRS, hey, they never touched the funds. We held it this whole time. And now we put it into a like kind exchange. And then, oh, and that's like another advisor, right? So you need the QI to sign off on things as well. And sometimes they're like, no, 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 we won't do that. We can't do that. We need this, 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 and this. So sometimes it's just getting all of these pieces to line up just perfectly and talk to each other, especially when you're dealing with a syndication because you have a securities attorney involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so leave all the headache to us. And it is a bit of a headache, but it's okay. I always say that if things were easier, then everyone would have done it. So it's not easy. It's complicated. And that's fine. It is. And in that same vein, just to be like super clear, right? This is not a headache that our LPs have. They don't even know any of this happened. Exactly. That's behind the scenes for them. General partners, this is what we are here for. And this is what we take care of is we spend that time and energy. And I think also part of the challenge that's unique to us that we face is we're always very cost conscious about what we're willing to spend. Like, I know there are times where we'll hang up and be like, or you'll call me before a call and I'll be like, okay, what do we want to say? Like, let's narrow it down to three exact bullet points so we don't spend a minute longer. And I'll be like texting you while we're on a call with an attorney, be like, I wish you would just hurry up and talk faster because <laughs> we want to keep the costs down. You know, we're very conscious of that. And so I think that's like an internal struggle that we have. But ultimately, like you said, they're worth their weight in gold. And LP investors do not have to worry about this headache. That's what you have us for. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I want to move to the last piece of our chat today about strategy and talk about tick structure. And before we do that, again, as a disclaimer, we are not tax advisors. We're not attorneys. We're not advising anyone to do a 1031 exchange or not to do it. This is just us sharing, you know, experience and information from our own experience and from, you know, our past deals and we're sharing our thoughts and, you know, tips, but this is not a legal exactly or any type of tax advice. So just bear that in mind. Always consult with your attorneys, with your accountants, with your CPAs. Always, always the right thing to do. Okay, so let's move to strategy. What is a tick structure and how can investor use that to basically defer taxes? Yeah. So a tick structure, a tick is TIC, which is abbreviation for tenants in common. So part of the 1031 exchange rules say that the title holding entity from the exiting asset has to be the same title holding entity for the entering asset. And so what you're doing is where you normally might have your title holding entity, and then you know maybe you'll have like a JV equity partner and then an investor entity or JV, investor, manager, however you structure, you usually have one title holding entity. With a tick structure, what happens is all of your tick partners are now partial owners of the property. So let's say you have three ticks that are equal owners. Instead of there being one 100% title holding entity, you now have three individual 33.33% owners in that same property. So the way they function amongst themselves is they share a prorated share of the expenses and the cash flows from the asset. But then they also have what's called a co-tenancy agreement where they all talk to each other about how exactly funds will flow, who can vote for what. And there's specific rules and guidance around that as well, which again, leads us back to why you need someone who's qualified to give you further detail and guidance on how to make that happen. Yeah. And, you know, some investors call us and say, hey, I sold an asset. I have half a million or a million or two million. Can I invest 
in your fund or can I invest in your syndication? And as much as we would love to get that, if the investor wants to do a 1031 exchange, they cannot come into the fund if, you know, especially if they are, let's say Daniel Daniels owns Daniel Daniels LLC and that LLC owns a property that was sold, then Daniel Daniels LLC cannot move the money to a fund or to an investor entity. They need to be on a title. And so the only way for them to do that is to do a tick structure. And we usually do that, you know, I think the minimum is 2 million, 2 to 5 million is probably the sweet spot, but that's the only way to do it because you cannot move the money from one investment to another. Like kind is also the structure, you know, in a sense, if your LLC was on a title or if you were on a title, you have to be on a title in the new deal. And the only way is to say, you don't have to be hundred percent owner, but you or your entity need to be on the title, at least as partial owners. And this is where the tick structure is very important because then it allows us to partner and basically to both companies or entities to be on the title. Correct. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point you brought up. So we have a lot of investors that come to us asking us, hey, I'm exiting a duplex I'm selling, right? And I want to 1031 into your deals. I want to, you know, they want to do what my parents did and kind of go hands off, but they don't want to pay capital gains. So they always ask how they can partner with us. And the real answer is if if you are going to be in that position, not if you're in that position today, if you're going to be there or you think in the future you might sell an asset and you would want to consider this, you reach out to us or your sponsor or whoever that you want to work with ahead of time because we need to get this blessed by the lender. We need it to be blessed by the buyer or seller, depending on which side of the transaction we're talking about. We need the attorneys to all bless it. We need securities to sign off on it. We need tax advisor. Everybody has to sign off on it. So we need to know ahead of time so we can put it initially into the org chart and have it structured correctly from the beginning. It's much harder to go back and try to change all that or add someone in later. So let us know ahead of time that you have an interest in this. And then when we have an asset identified, we can right out of the gate structure it correctly. And it's a really great way for someone who wants to move out of active management to more passive management to utilize this tick structure and utilize these larger deals because you're de-risking in these larger deals as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Vina, thank you so much for being on the show. And, you know, I know that you added a lot of value to our uh, listeners and we've arrived to the lightning round questions. Okay. Yes. But stretch, I stretch before we do this. Absolutely. But before we get into that, any final words, tips, remarks about uh, TIC or 1031 exchange before we dive into our lightning round questions? Yeah. One interesting thing that I've noticed in the last 1031 that we did was I had a lot of investors that were unsure of it. They just didn't know what it was. And they said, Hey, should I do this or not? And I, you know, I can't give them that advice. I don't know. It depends on their personal tax situation. So I send them back to their CPA. 99.9% of the time they come back saying, my CPA thought I was crazy when I even had to ask this question. It was a no brainer. I'm definitely going to roll forward my proceeds because of the tax advantage that's there. The 1031 always comes up on the chopping block in Congress. So, you know, it could not be available at any time in the future. So while we have the ability to utilize it, we absolutely should and take advantage of it. 
And if you are considering it, definitely talk to your personal tax advisor to see how this can really benefit you and how, you know, even if you're a smaller investor or larger investor, you can kind of mimic what the wealthy elite do. Absolutely. And that's what they do. That's exactly how to do it. I hope it's never going to go away. It's been here for over a hundred years, but you can never know. You can never know. Got to take yep. advantage of it while you can. Exactly. All right. First question in the lightning round question. What's your favorite hobby? Okay. So I'm kind of a nerd now because I have kids that are now getting into this age where they're like actually fun. They have like these little personalities. So my favorite thing to do is to go out to eat with the family and like spend time outdoors when it's nice here. I live in Texas, not California. So only sometimes we get to do that. <laughs> we, we get chilly days and you know, I'm also, I'm splitting my time between California and Rhode Island slash Massachusetts. So all right. Next question is, what's the one thing that people do not know about you? I don't actually even think you know this about me. I Try can me. speak pig Latin fluently. Oh, I didn't know that. I know. It's like a dorky fact about me, but it's true. My sister and I, when we were kids, we learned how to speak so we could talk in front of our parents mm. without them knowing what we were saying. So that's like a quirky fact about me. Interesting. Okay. I learned something new about you. Vina, a book that you are currently reading or recently read and you think would benefit our listeners and, you know, something that inspired you. I guess I'm like really on this like family kick right now because I'm not reading a business book right now. I'm reading a book called The Formula and it's about how you can raise like high achieving kids, not like intelligence wise or make them smarter. It's just how you can get them to reach their full potential. And it really goes in and I'm reading that in conjunction with Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which also talks right. about like the extremes. And so kind of those together, I'm, I'm trying to make sure my kids end up doing something that's productive when they get older. I don't know. Well, if you haven't read The Outliers, it's such an amazing book. Very powerful. Yep. All right, Vina, what's your advice for living an extraordinary life? Because this is what we're, it's all about, at least for me. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, one is find someone way smarter than you and partner with them because that is what I have done. You know, Ellie, I ride your coattails to success here. And I think to, you know, keep in mind what you're doing this for, right? Like you're doing this for the future you or future generations. And, you know, I do this for passive income and I want to be at a point that we can not ever worry about having to generate new income and you know, we do this because we love it. We have a passion for it and we want to be doing this. And I think when you get to that point, it's very fulfilling in your career. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Great advice. Vina. lastly, if listeners want to get in touch with you and chat with you about investing, about real estate, where can they find you? You can find me on my website, vivefunds.com, V-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. Or I'm like on all the social media with just my name, Vina Jetty is usually my handle on social media. All right, Vina, thank you so much. I mean, we talk pretty frequently, but it was a blast having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having me. I love when we do this because I feel like investors and other operators get to be like a fly on the wall in the conversations we have on yeah. a regular basis. So it's, it's kind of exciting to open that up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's it for today, guys. If you'd like to speak with my team about investing in multifamily, be sure to complete our new investor forum at blake-capital.com. Until then, guys, be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.